Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Man Bites Pod. It is I, Gene Von Banyard, the Cinema Baron, putting the sin back into cinema. And please introduce yourselves, my fellow co-hosts. Very good to see you, gentlemen. Take it away. Well, uh, the Reverend God DM is back with us once again. Um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to be here with you guys for another exciting episode. The Commander Wee is in the building and commanding as always, ready to go. I can't wait for this one. This is Gene's pick. I'm really excited about it. this. Was a fun one, man. Ah, cool, cool. I'm happy to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, I've gone a little bit off track from my usual pathway here on the pod so far. It's a lot more f- fun. Um, it's a bit more of a basically macabre like uh, frolic. This one, it is called "Murder Party" by Jeremy Sonier. If I have that last name correct. Make of it what you will. That's just what I've heard on other pods pronounced as, and it was the pronunciation I liked the most. It was the easiest to say. Uh, Son Ye, Jeremy Son Ye. Um, Murder Party is a 2007 American horror comedy film uh, shot in Brooklyn, New York. And um, this is basically indie punk rock filmmaking. Not as well, I wouldn't say at its finest, but it's certainly a great example of it. It is uh, a prime example of a bunch of friends who have made film films uh, since they were very young. I should say videos, really, since they were very young. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and always did it for fun but you know they were they wanted to make a life out of it if not a career um and basically they tried to get into the industry they you know um but no one would fund the film they were looking at called mustache it was a feature film no one would give them funding for it so they just decided fuck it we're going to go our own way do our own thing put our own stamp on things and they came up with murder party uh yes um first impressions guys just general thoughts before i go into it deep what did you guys think i thought it was fucking tremendous absolutely tremendous um it's obvious they made this for no money and yet they still did an amazing job i mean they made this for literally no money Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and it's it's well done um some of the lighting bugged me at times but i'm not really going to complain i could tell they were trying to go for something with it it just got so dark i really couldn't see what was going on but that was only for short pitches and outside of that everything was great i'm actually honestly pretty impressed with the gore effects too uh once again considering they had no fucking money none no money yeah yeah right i i really like this a lot too man it's uh 
I had never watched it before. You had recommended it, and I was blown away. I really was. It, it was really hitting all the marks that I like to see hit in a film. Fantastic, fantastic. That's great to hear there, gentlemen. And uh, and from yourself there, Reverend, that means a lot, really. I wanted to, you know, make, I wanted to uh, make a film, uh, choose a film that you would definitely enjoy there. So I'm glad that um, you popped for it there. Um, yeah, um, as I say, they're all friends uh, since uh, youth, basically. I've uh, been making videos together. Now, you talked about the gore effects there, Commander. Paul Goldblatt, who plays Paul in the film, he's the man behind the gore effects, yeah, and he always has been since they were young, since they had basically Ziploc bags full of bad uh, fake blood, largely consisting of paint. They would get shot and they would just slam it against their heads. And then, right. <laughs> you know, it started off that simple, um, building up to the fantastic uh, wolf mask effect, which I'll get into later on. Um, yeah, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they've come a long way, certainly. Now, they're called the Lab of Madness. That is the name of the collective there, which I think is a fantastic name. Everyone was all hands on deck. Um, as I say, Paul Goldblatt, he played Paul in the film and he was doing the, he did the special effects. Uh, Chris Sharp, who is the protagonist, the incompetent protagonist. He uh, is also the producer of the film and has never acted before in his life. Um, but Jeremy, the director, knew because he is naturally that anxious and that socially inept, he would be perfect for the role. So he wrote the characters uh, based on their actual real-life personalities. Um, right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Jeremy Sonier directs, produced by Sky Sonier. Yes, uh, that is Sky in the film, the zombie cheerleader. That is Jeremy's wife. Uh, Chris Sharp produced. He has also plays Chris in the film, um, and uh, he is the protagonist. Uh, Macon Blair. Now uh, he plays Macon <laughs> in the film. You get the pattern here. Macon right. Blair. Um, now he is also. He's become Jeremy's film homie, definitely. They've gone on to do some rather fine works together. They um, After this, they did Blue Ruin, where Macon is the uh, the lead. Um, and Macon was also in Green Room, uh, which is another Sonier film. And then we also have Hold the Dark, where he plays a small but, um, you know, significant part in that. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, now, these three films together, we have uh, Murder Party, Blue Ruin, and Green Room. They make up what is called the Incompetent Protagonist Trilogy. Oh, I'm not uh, hip to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, have you guys seen Green Room? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, so Murder Party, if you'll notice, it is uh, colorized, tinted, however you want to put it. It is a red film. Blue Ruin, colorized blue, the tone of it, yeah? Mm -hmm. From okay. the, the emotion, from <laughs> these pictures, <laughs> they're thrown up on the screen. There. These, um, uh, the emotional tone and the coloring, they match. So Murder Party Red, obvious reasons. Blue Ruin is about tragedy. It is colorized and the tone of it is blue. Green Room, green, yeah? And what I'm getting with that is that it's out in the wilderness. Um, it's very oppressive, you know, you're there, you can't call for help, that sort of thing. Primal, oh, if you will. 100%. Yep. Uh, 
he also um, after that um, Macon Blair again and all of them um, after that they did Hold the Dark Hold the Dark he was given Netflix money yeah so he started with Murder Party unable to get into the industry funded it all themselves um, up into the fourth film where they got the Netflix money to do Hold the Dark uh, stars Alexander Skarsgård and Jeffrey Wright it is set in Antarctica it is white yeah, yeah. Baron, the barrenness of Antarctica is where it's shot and set, um, and it's very much about um, first. They call as first people, Native American Indians, I believe, is the proper terminology. Okay. Um, it's all about it's all about their folklore and cult activity going on in Antarctica. It is heavy, heavy, dark in the terms of tone there, that and so that's white there as well. Um, but these three, the first three, Murder Party, Blue Ruin, Green Room, the Incompetent Protagonist um, trilogy, and certainly Incompetence of the Protagonist um, starts off with Chris to quite a um, marked degree. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they they start the tradition off right with this character. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jeremy uh, Saunier also shot this film and he pretty much shoots all of his film. He gets help with other camera people as he goes on. But since the back in the days um, when they were doing um, like uh, book reports, his videos uh, for Beowulf and Macbeth as Macbeth back in their school days, he's always shot the films. He's always had the director's eye out of the group there. Um, and they've had other names like Butt Stupid Pitches and uh, <laughs> just real goofy, like off the wall silly shit. Right. Um, just being goofy kids about it, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the release date was 2007 at the Slam Dance Slam Dance Film Festival. Um, it was called, uh, was it called Crab Dance or something, the short film which they put before this, which everybody loved. And so they were allowed to come back for to the Slam Dance Film Festival 2007. This is what started disseminating it to the world. Uh, it's a running time of 80 minutes there, people. So if you want something short, sweet and fun and just bizarre, Zerk to watch. This is definitely one to get out of the way in 80 minutes. Perfect Halloween night film. Sure. Um, yep. Uh, budget of 190000 all up, but as the commander said, um, self-funded. And it ended up making $230,000. Uh, okay. um, that's I'll all they made off this? Yeah, that's all. Um, at this, uh, well, uh, yeah. As, this is why you got to buy tickets, well, people. That's like yeah. what, what they mean is box office. So they box office, made, sorry, yes. They may have made money off of something else, uh, but okay. merchandising or, or DVDs, perhaps. Uh, I doubt it, but it's possible. I got um, you. Limited run type of shit. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. For, L- limited distribution. The theater around me. Yeah, yeah. Limited run, limited distribution. Yes. Uh, thank you, Commander. Uh, I'll just read a little bit about the Lab of Madness. Began with Christopher Sharp, Macon Blair, and Jeremy Sonier as they were growing up in the 1980s, shooting short horror films on a VHS camcorder in Super 8s. Their first film was made in the sixth grade and was titled Megacop, 1986. Later, they were joined by Paul Goldblatt, 
Sandy Barnett and Bill Lacey. Uh, Bill's fantastic. The group would often do school assignments as video projects. So their vast filmography includes interpretations of classical works such as Macbeth and Beowulf. After high school, all went to various film schools and kept in touch. The Lab of Madness first attempted a feature was a screenplay titled Mustache. They shot a short film titled Crab Walk. That was the one they first went to slam dance with and attempted to get funding for the film Mustache. After failing to find investors, the group decided to groom light, green light murder party themselves with no money in August 2005. So that what that means is actually self-funded. There has to be actually some physical money in the production. Um, yeah. And they're not doing it off social welfare checks. Um, and in February 2006, they began shooting. The shoot was rough with many taking multiple roles on the production. It was freezing inside, uh, but a tight-knit crew emerged. Much of the planned special effects had to be compromised due to budget constraints, but because of this, a lot more focus was put on a few individual effects. That's why you're saying there's uh, commander some of the, the, the gore scenes really stand out because they really focused on those. Yeah, and they were all done, and they were all done in half a day. Two weeks was cut down to half a day because of the nature of independent filmmaking. Right. Um, uh, and visual effects artist Chris Connolly was also brought into work in post-production on the makeup effects to supplement what was done on set. We all remember the chainsaw scene, which I'll go into detail later on. Um, right. Chris Connolly was the digital artist who really made that scene pop. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, there, yeah. There had yeah, to be yeah. something digital about it, but it was still very, very well done, even if it was digital. Abs it was pretty impressive. Absolutely. Um, it's a cult favorite nowadays. Uh, drunken audiences across in the indie circuit absolutely loved this film when it was first shown on its first run. And to its absolute credit, because these guys, Rotten Tomatoes seems to be the, the, the best, you know, the hallmark, the pinnacle, <laughs> the um, inner circle of film critics nowadays, they, they, it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, the rare 100%. Yeah, that's pretty tough, man. And, and to, to that effect, like to to, to really talk, this is something that I just when we get when we talk about you know next episode on on my film, I the critics panned it, but they're a bunch of assholes. So when you have when you have Rotten Tomatoes, these are people that enjoy all types of film, all of yes. There are yes. they, they won't. You get critics that will shit on this film, and it's because it's a horror film. And you're like, this if this critic shits on every horror film or every film with any amount of violence in it, then they need to stop going to see those fucking movies. Whereas Rotten Tomatoes has a well-rounded way of going about it. They, I think yeah. what it is is they have people, people that like these types of movies, watch these movies, and then go, all right, this is a good or a bad movie, one way or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes is a good, is a pretty good barometer. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, Abs please. I can't think of a single thing that's wrong with this movie. I'm just surprised that Rotten Tomatoes would go that high with it because they're so notorious for like being pretty brutal to a lot of films. They're pretty but I, critical. I have no complaints with this film. So I mean, they probably came to the same conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this film is just fucking fun. Yeah, moves right. quickly. It's hilarious. It's got the standout gore scenes. We can all relate to it in our own way as well, definitely. Um, speaking of relating to the film as well, um, you know, uh, 
here, Jeremy Sonier is a fan of 70s, 80s, horror, exploitation, gore films as well. We can see it in this cult films as well. Um, and he is also, as you've seen with Green Room, I'm sure you picked that out as well. He's a hardcore punk kid from the 90s, uh, skate punk kid from the 80s, making these this incompetent protagonist trilogy. He also wanted to archive his own involvement and love uh, for that culture through these films yeah right yeah. right i noticed a fair amount of punk rock elements in this movie you know yeah um yeah. it seemed like they had less budget so obviously they're not going to use you know they're they're not going to use a ramon song in there but they clearly use some independent uh you know you know fucking punk rock bands or rock and roll bands that that lean towards that side of the dial you know what i mean oh um, yeah for the soundtrack yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and he was in even some bands himself as well. Odd Possums is one of them as well. They never made it big or anything like that. But Jeremy Sonia, even when you see him interviewed, he doesn't do it in a serious, normal fashion. He's cracking jokes and whatnot and hassling the interviewer and stuff. He's a cool dude. <laughs> He's that's a very cool dude. Be. Yeah. All right. Should we get into the uh, plot, gentlemen? Let's do it. All right. All right. We have Christopher, our incompetent protagonist. He is a lonely meter maid. Uh, we all know what that is. <laughs> Traffic, uh, um, a parking tickets. Yeah. He, yeah he hands them out. <laughs> yep. 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 We have them here as well. And they are not liked either down here. Um, now he is, uh, heading home on his way from work. Um, the first scene, sorry, the opening credit sequence, that was shot before the uh, script was written because Sonia wanted to ins uh, basically motivate himself and his cast and crew. Uh, so he got that done and said, hey, look, we've started. We've got to keep going. Basically, it was to get the ball rolling. Um, it has very John Carp carpenter Esque uh, theme score at the start there as well. Very nice synthwave music at the start, and basically you've got a whole bunch of. It's the day of the night before the night of Halloween, uh, so you right. see a whole bu a bunch of ghoul, uh, basically ghostly like uh, balloon um, balloons and whatnot, and um, jack o' lanterns all over the place. The actual yeah, very first. Sorry, after that, that opening credit scene was was really well shot. I, I loved every second of it. That was, I mean, that that was Hollywood level. It was really perfect. Yeah, yeah precisely, precisely. Um, and you get um, basically, um, and it also you get the jack o' lantern that is picked up and smashed by a bunch of street urchins on the um, stoop of the house. There, uh, murder party. Yeah, it's a great opening. That's um, sign of things to come, really. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you um, you see Chris at work being just harassed by people he's giving tickets to. Then he makes his way home. Um, and uh, yeah, and you get an inclination of his character as well because the alarm goes off in his watch and he takes a couple of pills. You can pretty much tell these are anxiety pills because you just look at him as well. Yeah. Between, between that, yeah. between that and the fact that his cat won't get out of his seat and he acquiesces <laughs> to the fucking cat, you, you know exactly who this motherfucker is. He, I mean, I felt bad for him. I would, I was like, this poor son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, um, perfect casting by uh, Sonia, definitely. Um, yeah, Christopher Sharp, perfect choice for the role. He, find, 
Now he goes, um, you see it blowing in the wind before it gets to uh, Chris as well. This is the invitation to murder party. Um, and he's Chris is walking along and he steps on the invite and picks it up. Uh, and it is a very uh, gothed out uh, Halloween uh, party invite. Uh, murder opens it up, murder party, come alone. And then I think it's one Shaw Street, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yes, yes. Um, and this is a funny beat as well because he picked, he looks at it and then he smiles to himself and goes, ah, oh, finally, I've been invited to a Halloween party. <laughs> and that's his idea of being invited to something. <laughs> so, you know, this guy doesn't get out and about a lot, not a huge right. social group. Yeah. Um, yeah, he comes home, he puts on his house slippers. Um, but... Um, before we, um, it is Halloween night. So he's breaking his usual routine a little bit because he goes to the VHS store and gets some scary VHS movies. Did you guys clock the uh, the titles of these movies? I did. I know that they're all made up. They were Scarewolf. Yeah. Um, there's, one, there's one that starts with an X, Zetons. I can't remember that one. Uh, Zeranticoid or something? Y yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and what was the other one? It was um, uh, but, evil. But, but, but now, Sorry. but here's something that I was—I've been waiting to talk about this. I mm -hmm. noticed after you mentioned the trilogy that all three of those are color coded. One's green, one's red, one's blue. Yeah, I they're all different, up. different colored VHSs for when, sure. I when he does the classic I, move of slamming all three of them down on top of the VCR. Yep. You see the three different color scans, for yep. sure. That's very so, cool. I didn't notice that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah I picked up, as soon as you told me about the trilogy that I was unaware of, I didn't know, that, I honestly forgot that, that the director was also the same cat that did Green Room, and I was unaware of the other film that you talked about, the short. But, yeah, I went, oh, shit, those fucking three movies are all, I mean, they're very, it's not like, just the cover is that color. The actual VHS looks tinted. You know, the yeah. it's yeah. So yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he has a, it's an eye for detail and he's very thematic in the way he does things, definitely being like a genre it. fan that he is. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, so you have Scarewolves or Antichoid or something, and something versus uh evil something versus unicorn horn. It's, it's the it's the zombies versus unicorn horn. <laughs> zombies versus <laughs> unicorn horn. So you know, completely made up. Um he gets his uh he's got candy corn as well. Yeah. Um Bowl of candy no corn one wants the... to eat. No one. That's that shows how pathetic of a character he is. Is that he's got the candy corn, like the loose candy corn. Ain't nobody going trick or treating and being all stoked on his loose bowl of candy corn that they come up. Yeah. With. Yeah, I'd okay. be concerned. I would not let my children take from that bowl. Fuck no. Jesus. Okay. In I, New I don't care about my own well-being, and I'm not taking that shit out of that bowl, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. This is in Brooklyn. This is in Brooklyn. Yep, yep. Um, candy corn, we don't have it down here. Never touched it. Um, I didn't know what it was looking at it until I read up on it. Yes, yeah, that's it's candy not, corn. Yeah, it's not a good thing. It's not a it's good thing. It's not a good thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of, uh, yeah, as you say, he, um, he's about to sit down to watch these VHSs as well, but his cat, Sir Lancelot, sitting in his chair, you know, he's got his house slippers on. He wants to get comfortable for the night. Sir Lancelot will not move, though, just stares at him and goes, no, nah, 
<laughs> Absolutely not. My choice. Oh, yeah, that, that cat <laughs> knows who's the boss. That cat knows who's the boss, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're not messing with Sir Lancelot. Um, now, uh, so he goes, all right, then fuck you. And then he goes and gets the smashed jack-o'-lantern from the stoop outside, which this was a very interesting choice, um, and decides to uh, make a pumpkin pie with raisins in it. It was a pumpkin bread, pumpkin bread. Pumpkin, yeah. pumpkin bread. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but and then puts raisins in it as well. Um, hmm. I remember pump- watching that, and and I know, but I don't know if anyone, if I revealed this or not. But I'm a chef. I cooked in red kitchens yeah. for years, I, and I was, I'm like, oh, he's making pumpkin bread, and I watched him put those raisins, and then went, what the fuck is he doing that for? I mean, yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute, obviously. Okay. But I'm like, what okay. the fuck. What is he doing? That's a terrible choice. No wonder yeah, nobody yeah. likes him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then he goes to make his Halloween costume. Um, now he pulls it out of a box and he's got some sort of, I'm not sure what movie or something is from. It looks like they're one of the monst- monst- monsters from the Muppets sort of thing. It's a very big furry he- um, monster yeah. head type thing. Yeah, um, looks quite awesome, you know. It looks pretty cool. He throws that away and then takes the box and makes the goofiest looking night suit costume. You know what he looked like? You know what he looked like, dude? He looked like the Black Knight in Monty Python. Exactly. He definitely um, looks like Monty Python. It's, it's the first thing I thought of. Well, like, um, I also thought, well, like, his cat's name Sir Lancelot. So he's basically just like made a cardboard outfit of the thing that he loves so much that he named his cat after the fucker too. Wait it won't even be the cool costume that he had to begin with. Holy shit, wait a minute, wait a minute. This just dawned on me. So yep. the yep. Black Knight from Monty Python. Am I maybe I'm crazy? No, I think I'm right. The Black Knight from Monty Python was played by John Cleese. I know that for a fact. Yes. But yes. The Knights of the Round Table are actual knights, and if I'm not mistaken, John Cleese also played Sir Lancelot in Ooh. in Quest for the Holy Grail. I mean, I I'm not qu- bet my firstborn on it, but I'm fucking like ninety percent sure of that. I can't I mean, quite remember. That could definitely be a fucking Easter egg in the shit. He's a nerd, so he's probably they're throughout the thing, man. I can I'll add some context. I, yep. I will I will I will sort that out right now while Gene uh wows us with more of this plot. Yeah, I'll um I'll add a little bit more context to the night suit as well. You're directly right with the um the Holy Grail, uh the Black Knight. Uh that is what it was that is the uh the reference, yeah. Because Christopher Sharp playing Chris there, that is a costume he used to make when he was young that looked very similar and it comes from the Black Knight from the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. it really was. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so this, uh, you get an idea of Christopher Sharp slash Chris is very true to life. Um, oh, now- uh, uh, update, update. Mm-hmm. John Cleese played second swallow savvy guard, the Black Knight, peasant number three, taunting French guard, Tim the Enchanter, yeah. and Lancelot the motherfucking brave. There we go, Commander. That is why um, I'm in charge. That's why I'm in command. <laughs> And uh, God bless John Cleese, one of the greatest to ever do it. Okay. Uh, Uh, Now, yes, so um, 
Yeah, so he says goodbye to Sir Lancelot. I hope you're happy. Look what you've done. Look what you've made me go and do. <laughs> what I have, I have to go outside. I have to go socialize. Um, so he, um, at night, he makes his way to Shaw Street, um, which he uh, prints out <laughs> on, on uh, MapQuest, I believe it is, from back then. Yeah. Which I love. Uh, I loved that. That yeah, love that little touch. Yep. Cool. Um, he's running down Shaw Street because it's abandoned street with abandoned warehouses at night. Uh, but he eventually finds the place. Now he knocks on the door. No one's there. Any normal sane person would have left by this stage because it looks as dangerous and as spooky as fuck. Um, well, this motherfucker should have turned around and gone home like five minutes, ten minutes earlier when he was walking down in bad neighborhoods and shit. Absolutely. Where he didn't belong. Absolutely, absolutely. This motherfucker should have just fucking put a gun to his head when he got kicked out of his own chair by his goddamn cat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, now he makes his way to Brooklyn to attend the party, it says here. Uh, so I'm not sure what borough he's actually living in or if he's living oh. in a better part of Brooklyn. It's entirely possible. I mean, he walked there, so he was probably already in Brooklyn. Okay, okay. He's gone from the good part of town to the bad part of town, basically, is all that needs to be said, I think. Um, Now, um, but then he does notice some noise inside and he makes his way inside uh, to the group of uh, art students. Okay, now, (laughs) the art students are all in costume. Um, Now, uh, includes Paul, a gothic 19th century vampire. Macon? a werewolf, Sky, a zombie cheerleader, Lexi is dressed up as Pris from Blade Runner, which I quite mm-hmm. appreciated, uh, and, Bill, <laughs> and Bill, a baseball fury, I believe the lead fury uh, from The Warriors. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, they see him and they're quite excited. They're quite amazed and they're quite excited. Someone actually showed up. Okay, we've got a live one here. Um, And Paul um, grabs the invite, takes the invite off him and starts doing a little kind of faux magic trick, basically sets the invite on fire with his lighter and just waves it in front of Chris's face. And Chris is like, okay, this is the party. I I need to think this is cool to fit in. Oh, wow. (laughs) While Megan is creeping up behind him with an ax and uh, basically gets caught in the light switch and turns the light on. Chris turns around, freaks out, and they're off on their first uh, chase scene. Um, it's very. I gotta goofy. say, I love I love <laughs> the light getting switched on. I thought that was a great gag. That was a great gimmick, man. Because um, yeah. I knew what was gonna get foiled. It was too early in the movie for this motherfucker to die. He's obviously the protagonist, but then they, he gets foiled by an old school chain lamp sw- fucking switch. I thought that was fucking brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, um, Macon, Macon, uh, the werewolf. He's the he's the night, uh, if you will, the '90s grunge guy. Because all of these are kind of homages, you know, to like uh, Sonia's uh, film loves as well. You know, you've got the Warriors, you've got Blade Runner, you've got horror in there with the Gothic vampire, uh, yep. the werewolf, that sort of thing. Um, Macon, um, he's he's the grungy guy as well. Just a little bit of context that uh, Macon. Uh, he did not shower uh, throughout this production one bit. Not one splash of hot water touched his body. And Why? also, 
Huh? Just to get into their grunge character, their grunge mode, their way of thinking and living. For the the goddamn art, that's why I didn't shower. The same reason I didn't shower today, and the same reason I don't shower for any of our podcasts. (laughs) You are a glutton and and a lazy son of a bitch, and you love it. Um, Furthering the... No, I gotta say, it's for the art. Okay. <laughs> That's why my studio still smells like sulfur and you haven't been in here in three days. <laughs> yeah. Make I think you and Macon would get along uh, there, Reverend, as well, because the alcohol that he drinks throughout this film, that is a type of milk water. Um, and we've seen jumping in a little bit, but he pours it over himself at times. Again, no showering whatsoever. He stunk as well. And um he would go take uh, behind the scenes, he would go take huge dumps, <laughs> which people described as a dead baby corpse, the smell that emanated from them. And he would walk out with the papers under his arm like some proud old boomer going, ha ha, what'd you think of that? Yeah, Macon was the uh, the, the joker, oh, <laughs> the goof damn, on set. I don't appreciate that whatsoever. Fuck, I'd have, I'd, no, I'd have been done with it. <laughs> His uh, first chasing scene, though, where they're fucking, they he gets a fucking axe caught up on the light and the light switch on, and it goes into this mayhem of them chasing him around before they even like this is the initial chasing, and there's three chase scenes in this fucking film, right? Which is fucking Scooby Doo. I don't know if you got that. No, like that's exactly what it is, man. It is because your son's got a werewolf mask on. It's of course mm-hmm. it is. It's no, it's Scooby Doo. That is a huge Scooby Doo reference, dude. It's Scooby Doo, but with cocaine. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. Um, Sonia, uh, I love the Scooby Doo reference, definitely. And Sonia um, describes this film as uh, the Breakfast Club uh, with uh, what, what did he say? The Breakfast Club with gore scenes, um, with ultra violence and hard drugs. Paraphrasing yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, I'm yeah. with that. That, that, that <laughs> yeah. checks out. Now, uh, they catch him um, and they uh, tie him up. Um, other little references I'll throw in as well. Macon, uh, he has a plug-in chainsaw, and we caught the name on the chainsaw there, yeah? Yeah, Old Painless. Yep. Which, yeah, Old uh, Painless. That's which a reference to Predator, I believe. There you go, there you go. So they're just, you know, highlighting the geekdom behind this movie, the love for, you know, uh, genre films and such. Uh, but they could... To make that huh? clear um, to anybody else that's going, what the fuck do you mean? So in Predator, yeah, Jesse's please. body Ventura has... He's got the Gatling gun that's nicknamed Old Painless because it shoots so many bullets at such a high caliber, at such a high rate and velocity that you don't even feel it before you die. So that was the whole, that's the reference. I just wanted to make, I didn't want people going, what the fuck? Yeah, please. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So they catch him and they tie him up. They gag him on the chair. And this was all set up at the party as well. There was already a chair there with ropes behind it. There was a tarp. There was the axe sort of thing. Um, Chris, you know, is not very observant. As soon as you see that, at the very least, get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> but right. no, no, no. It's Halloween, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I was just thinking, I don't but These know. are all hard 
school kids, and they didn't think anyone was going to actually find that one invitation blowing in the wind and was yeah. going to be dumb enough to go to this fucking thing. So they were all playing off each other this entire time. Let's get the chair out. We better have chains ready for him to go. Notice the fucking, like, little envelope where they have all the keys and all the locks and everything that they're going to need for the night all, like, prim and proper right there. Because they're fucking, like, posing to each other. They're like, I am the most artistic, and we will definitely have the murder party. But, yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, that's they didn't expect I, anyone to show up. That's why I 100% believe, though they didn't expect anyone to show up, but it's because they were so artistic that they're like, we're not even going to give this to anybody. We're not going to stand out in front of the liquor store dressed like we're extras from True Blood and hand this out to somebody. No, we're going to set it off into the wind. And yeah. someone's just going to find it. And that lonely son of a bitch is going to show up and we don't kill him. That's what yeah. they did. And then somebody showed the fuck up and they went, okay, we're doing this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and uh, they are art students and they are going to murder someone in the name and for the sake of art. All this is for an art piece so they can get the grant from their their leader, their idol, their icon, their benefactor, if you will, named Alexander. Yeah. Um, Alexander. Now, all of this is basically a... Uh, parody showing up taking the piss out of pretentious art students particularly from brooklyn as uh sonia had some experience with these people and i'm sure we all have as well there gentlemen we all know a hundred percent i could tell right away they were lampooning fucking dickhead hipster artists right i love it i love it but saying that as well, it's um, it's not malicious. There's no malicious intent behind it because they also recognize themselves, Sonia and the Lab, Lab of Madness as a collective. This is also them as people because they cast themselves as these characters and they were also dickhead, um, goofy artists trying to, you know, make their way into making a, a living, not a, you know, not like a career becoming famous sort of thing, being able to do what they want to do as well. And growing up, we've all been a bit goofy and pretentious, so they were recognizing yeah. this and themselves as well yeah i was yeah, gonna say that as well. i think that all i think everybody that's done any type of art on any heavy level not just you know drawing in their notebook but like really tried to do something with it or or took it seriously on some level at any point went through a phase where they're like i'm smarter than everyone i do something no one does you know what i mean and it's yeah i think it's good that he gets the joke that's all you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, it's an insular world when, when you're at university or at art schools. And it's not until uh, once you step out of that and the reality of the real world and the industry and the marketplace and just regular people not taking you seriously, then you learn to be a little bit more humble. <laughs> yeah, at it as well, which he certainly has, which they all have. Okay, yep. Um, now, their patron, their pretentious patron, you know, his name is Alexander. Um, He's the guy dressed up as a vampire because he's so <laughs> Before we get there, though, we were talking about 
the ray, the uh, pumpkin bread with raisins before. Now we have Sky there. That she is the zombie cheerleader, uh, played by Jeremy's wife. Um, now she, um, she's the first one to take the pumpkin bread. She, oh, that's so sweet. She seems to be the nicer one of the crew as well, because she's nodding her head where Macon has got the axe behind. She's not hundred percent into it, um, but that's regardless. Um, she starts eating the pumpkin bread, um, and she has just said, hey, I've got a way that we can, don't have to kill him, but it'll be violent and it'll be a great uh, work of art. We might get the grant of Alexander. Never get to hear what that idea is because she's realized that she's eating raisins. Did you, has this got raisins in it? Are they organic? I'm allergic to preservatives. <laughs> It's the fact that it's not that there were raisins, that she's allergic to non-organic raisins. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Macon uh, gets boxes, you know, being um, the, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, let's just say the ladies' man for now. Gets boxes to look, um, to sit her down, uh, you know, take it easy. Um, she goes, oh, I'm fine. I'm just feeling a bit woozy. Um, and then she um, falls down, hits a metal bar sticking out of something, which goes straight into her head. Um, um, and then she sits up um, and uh, uh, forget how exactly how it goes. Uh, she's squirting blood from the side of her head. She's squirting blood, side of her head. And then she says, I can smell cut grass. Wow. Yeah. Drops down dead. <laughs> I, I always took that to be just, you know, that's, I mean, that's honestly, that's something that happens to stroke victims. And that's things that happen to mm -hmm. people with certain head injuries where they, they would smell things that aren't nearby. I oh, was that what the cut grass was one? Because yeah, it was a head so injury. Like okay. Specifically with stroke victims, they often smell burnt toast. They smell something burning in the kitchen. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden they're on the floor because they had a stroke. Okay. It's, okay. You know, it's you. Part with of you. your brain going going haywire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um now to hmm. Uh, through the lampooning of the art students, it's also uh, questioning their moral characters as well, because instead of calling the police, calling the parents or anything like that, there is some concern. Well, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, one, because Alexander's on the way and he won't be happy. Um, well, that's the main reason, really, that, um, that they're concerned. So they hide the body in the freezer out of embarrassment and uh, because this isn't the sequence of the artistic process. This is not how it's meant to go. Uh, um, so they hide her in the freezer. That is Sky out the way, one down. Okay. Um, Alexander arrives at the party, uh, to the murder party with his friend Zyko, not Psycho. This is Zyko with a Z or a Z, um, who is unknown to the group. Um, he basically looks like a bad uh, impression of an Eastern European drug dealer. He's got the, you know, the, uh, the, the tracksuit and the fanny pack. Um, I, I also, I swear they did this on purpose, but his chains are silver and not gold. I felt like they wanted him to look as cheap as humanly possible by doing like that. Like they couldn't have just spray painted those plastic chains anyways. Right. You know, man, I had a hard time for the first like 20 minutes of him being introduced as a character if he was like supposed to be that person or if he was just dressed up like everyone else because it's goddamn Halloween. You right. Know? 
Like, is he just play, is he just going on with the role right now because he's an artistic motherfucker, or is this guy like the real deal supposed to be like the hookup for the evening and he's mysterious because he is, you know, exotic? I don't know. <laughs> um, he is ambiguous. He, he does add tension to the film because uh, it's potentially a bit of a real world threat that comes in as well. Alexander um, says that he is his drug dealer. Uh, and he is also there as enforcement uh, to force Paul to take off his vampire teeth, <laughs> his vampire shirt, uh, because Paul has come, Alexander has come as a 19th century vampire, and his effort was fake teeth, which he throws away after scaring Lexi at the start. And he just has on a red suit coat and a tacky cruise golden cruise plastic crucifix. That's all the effort he uh, undertakes. But Paul is not allowed to be the same as the patrons, the head of the group. So he gets into to take off after his shirt, his vampire pants as well, revealing with a snakeskin, was it snakeskin underwear? Yeah. Snakeskin yeah. briefs? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Basically- How else are you uh, gonna love those two people in this movie like a reptile, man? He needed something going for him. <laughs> Uh, so you get uh, the idea of Alexander's uh, character as well. You know, he's a complete prick, basically. But more is revealed about him. Um, and as I said, Zyko was there holding the gun to him uh, to, uh, to force Paul to strip, basically. Uh, now, uh, Alexander sits down and basically wants to know how each of the group, he wants their input on how they will commit the murder, how they will perform their piece of art based on the murder of Chris Titan uh, gagged in the chair. Um, they all give their little bits. They'll give their little pitches as well. One I'll point out is uh, Lexi, this is Pris, uh, her, uh, what was it called? Valediction in Black, which is the, is, it's a video art piece and it's a, a perfect idea of pretentious nonsense art, which this group practices. It's her lying in a bath screaming bit with hot dogs being thrown at her. I, I, laughed <laughs> out loud, I laughed out loud at that. I laughed so fucking hard at that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, Macon wants to staple a, uh, a pancake to his face and throw him in front of the G train, so no one is ever, no one um, ever knows or sees him again. Paul's trying to take photographs. Um, none of the ideas are particularly impressive. You know, it's all pretentious nonsense. Um, anyway, Alexander is not impressed. Point being, um, and then he gives this whole waffling speech, which basically results in the art will be in the act of murder itself, and we will wait until the witching hour to stab witching hour to stab him together yeah which by the way they said is 12 midnight but if i'm not mistaken no. it's 3 a.m it's three yeah absolutely i, absolutely. I, I, I didn't quite that i didn't understand why they did that i think maybe it was just to be like these motherfuckers don't know what the fuck they're talking about like some inside joke weird shit i i don't know like just weirdos like the three of us would know that I don't yeah, know. It's three fifteen because three fifteen is a quarter into a quarter of a day, and it's a quarter into a quarter of an hour, and then it's three, and then one plus five is six. So it's three sixes. That's why it's the fucking witching hour. Right. But this is what I'm saying. Like only weirdos like us would know that. I don't think anyone got the joke. That's a very insular thing to put in a day. You know what I mean? 
I do, I do. I do think, I, my impression is that Sonia put it in to show that they're dildos, uh, which they call each other um, and Chris constantly throughout, because Alexander, that's his thats his uh, catchphrase, yeah? That is a good sure. point, man. That, like, he did put that in for them to be douche, douches, because it's referenced in, like, Amityville and, like, The Exorcist. Yeah, and, like, a bunch of he would know. Sonia would know. You know. Sonia would know, absolutely. No, no doubt he knows. Yeah, I would definitely, these people are cunts, for sure. <laughs> totally, totally. Now, um, drugs and alcohol fuel the group as they decide to wait for the witching hour. Macon's getting pissed the whole time. Lexi is snorting rails of coke up her nose. Um, then, Macon, now, they want to get some food. They decide on pizza after a bullshit argument about what type of food they will get. Again, just showing how pretentious they are. But they decide. Who's on that? Who's on first fucking routine that they pulled with ordering food? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macon leaves to pick up some pizza. He's wearing the wolf mask for anonymity. Um, and whilst he is doing that, um, Alexander and Lexi go to have sex in the back room during the party. Yep. Uh, there's party music playing. Basically, it's a small office space. It's not a gratuitous sex scene. You just see Alexander and Lexi's face pressed up on the screen, bouncing up and down, doing sex faces. Um, it's all very funny and silly. Um, Macon arrives back uh, and he walks straight past the window space in terms of what you see on the camera. He doesn't see them, but it's built up that to you know that um, Macon loves the ladies and he is particularly infatuated with Lexi. Yes. Uh, he's brought out in love with her. He's kind of almost yeah. said it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now they come uh, out from behind him after Coitus there. Um, and uh, her Chris makeup, her Blade Runner makeup is all smeared. And then Alexander comes out and says to Macon to really rub it in. Lexi's pussy screamed at me. It what? <laughs> Does this vampire thing. Um, and so Macon is, Macon is just heartbroken. So he just gets to heavy drinking. And again, that's the uh, sour milk water, which he doesn't wash off at any point during production, pours it all over. What is sour milk water? Is that actually like a drink? Uh, just water, no, no, watered down milk, watered down milk to it make, it like last, make the milk last longer. Yeah, just oh, to make God. the milk last longer, they mixed it with water, yeah? Yeah, so it's sour milk, in effect. That's horrible, yeah? that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Uh, ba, 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 bam. Up, yeah, ba, ba, ba. Now... Just thinking where I can jump to here. Now, after the party, the group has grown bored. Uh, They decide to play a truth or dare game. Yeah. Right. Now, to do this, yes, with drugs, with needles, shared needles as well, showing how much of, uh, how how dildo (laughs) these people actually are. Sodium pentothal. Air quotes, truth serum. This is provided by Zyko. Of course, who else would provide such a substance in this setup? And this is to divulge their most inner secrets. Now, all of them eventually take a shot from the needle, whether they want to or not. All except Alexander. 
Yeah, just right. to keep that in mind. Yeah, he faked uh, it. He faked it. He fakes it. Yeah. Now, uh, he ejected his shot into a slice of pizza, actually. Yeah. Um, in each reveal, are their most trivial truths to begin with, but it gets more personal as it goes along. Macon confesses his love to Lexi. Um, they say to Bill, this is important to note to Bill, because uh, Bill asks, what do you say about me? Uh whilst I'm not with you, whilst I'm not here. And Bill the whole time has been quietly playing his, uh, his I think it's a P2P back then, yeah? Uh, the handheld PlayStation gimmick, yeah? He's yeah. been pretty quiet and kept to himself. The only little glimpse of his character when they say, when Macon says at the start, hey, should we kill this guy? And he, and he says, I'm not here for a second degree assault party, yeah? Right. But you get the feeling because this guy's so quiet and says really quite aggressive things every so often, really kind of portending to some vicious violence bubbling up within. I picked up this Bill guy as a character to watch. <laughs> Something's right. going to happen with this guy early on, yeah? Sure. Um, da, 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 da. All right. Um, da, 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 da. Um, uh, Chris is allowed to join in in their little pun session as well because they've got a punch drunk, you know, almost like a narcotic buzz going on as well. Uh, well, they're all fucked up and they're like drilling each other, asking them each other their most intimate secrets, right? And like mm -hmm. they just start going off. Of course, he confesses his love to the girl right away because I mean, what else is he going to? say that's been the whole running theme you know um they ask fucking antonio or whatever fucking if he uh has the money that they're trying to get this grant money but since he didn't take the fucking sodium pentanol he lies and he's just like actually i have like a half a million dollars to give you a yeah. grant money so yeah. you know they're going around the the circle right now at this point trying to figure out and this is the breakfast club scene. This is 100%. Mm. They took drugs, mm. and they're mm. all different characters in the goddamn storyline. And now Very we're going to do the breakfast club scene. Absolutely. But it's true. That's, that's why they're got a joint. I promise you that's why they're sat on the floor. It's because it's the breakfast club. Exactly. 100%. 100%, 100%. And it's just to show that there's there's no real love or loyalty shown between uh, this crew. I mean, previous to this, Macon has accidentally set himself on fire from all the alcohol he poured over him and he was out to um, check on the dog or check on Hellhammer, Alexander's uh, uh, dog there. Um, and, um, huh? Was he? I don't think that's happened yet. Oh, that yeah, hasn't that happened yet. It does that come later. My apologies. Spoilers. Uh, Sorry about that. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. They do the breakfast club thing where they all like confess their love and everything. And she's just like, I'm not into you because he has this popsicle stick that like they have this romantic night at one yeah, time. Yeah, no, you're right. He was like oh, completely obsessed with her and he's carried around this fucking popsicle stick mm -hmm. in his pocket. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I just fucking screwed this other guy. Yeah, she's still with Alexander Seaman. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jumping ahead, my apologies. All right, after all of that, basically, Alexander um, decides that he is bored and he sends Zyko out to get some crank. Not cocaine, as uh, Zyko suggests that he takes instead, but actual crank, yeah? yeah. Okay, so 
uh, Zyka goes off to get the crank. Now, frustrated with not having anyone to insist in his photograph, Paul calls his professional assistant to aid him. Uh, the group's not happy that an assistant has come in. Why would you bring um, an outside party if they're not a guest, the guest, into a uh, murder party? Um, an argument breaks out and Paul injects Alexander with the dose of the truth serum because Paul has had enough of Alexander's shit. Yeah, um, they don't like each other. And of course, he made him strip at the start and take off his uh, 19th century vampire regalia. Yeah, he's got a bone to pick with him. Oh, you um, skipped the part. You skipped the part where Alexander banged him out, too. Ah, yes. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, uh, because like a trailer mentioning this dude's got an axe to grind and there's a reason for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. He just got because fucked in the ass and didn't even get the proper reach around, dude. <laughs> and now they're bitching about his fucking photography assistant. He needs that to make his goddamn art. That's the whole reason that they're at this goddamn fucking murder party to begin with. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, because he does um, uh, in the truth, the truth session, the truth, extreme truth or dare. He does say that he is bisexual and he believes that everyone is. And then uh, you see back in the office space where Alexander banged Lexi, the same physical setup, but this time it's Alexander's and Paul's face. Yes. Because that after the truth serum, um, that's right, Lexi says, let's um, take some coke. And so after that little bit of dip of the action of the pacing, yeah, to slow things down, they speed it back up with cocaine. Uh, yeah, and continue the party. And that's where the bisexual banging does occur. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, all of them. All of them. All right. And if, then, if I'm not mistaken, that's when the assistant has come in. Yep. Um, Zyka has gone off to get the crank. Yep. Um, uh, the assistant is not aware of the setup of the murder party, but she comes in very much like a lighting assistant at a film uh, gig as well. She's just there to do the job. You know, she's done a million of them. She's got all the equipment, the light meter, reading out F-stops, da-da-da. Typical crew member on a film set, absolutely. Well, a play-up of that. Okay, then we... Uh, um, Paul injects Alexander with the truth serum. He's had enough of his bullshit um, and asks him about the uh, grant again and discovers, a, uh, they discover Alexander is actually a fraud, a fraud, okay? Now, he's actually a fry cook. Uh, I believe he believe, lives in New Jersey with his grandma and his yep. name is uh, Tim. There is no grant whatsoever. He is by just way, being, By the please. way, I promise you, as soon as he said Tim, I'm like, that's a fucking Monty Python reference too. Remember the fucking Scottish guy that fucking John Cleese plays in Holy Grail? He goes, yeah. some call me Tim. <laughs> I fucking swear to God, dude, it's all homage. This whole movie's homage. Mm, mm, yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of Monty Python in this film. There's, there's a lot of like American Monty Python in this film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but, 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 no, yes, uh, Fry Cook, Jersey, no grant. He is keeping their art and putting it up at his grandma's house and he is going to sell it to them once they are dead because uh, an artist is not famous and their art is worth nothing until they are dead, yeah? Which is actually pretty fucking brilliant. Uh, it is quite brilliant, yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, there's some tr really truth in that. Con. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Now, oh, sorry, there we go. Uh, this is where I jumped ahead to. Lexi discovers Macon is on fire. Yep. Um, 
And uh, she... So she goes to check on the dog. Hellhammer. She goes to check on the Hellhammer, who was sent out. Who was sent outside initially because Hellhammer went straight for the freezer to check uh, because he could smell Sky's corpse. Yeah, the zombie cheerleader from the start. I'm allergic. I'm allergic. Hellhammer's taken outside. Hellhammer is dressed in a skeleton onesie. Yeah. Um, she and Macon. Yep. Who? Uh, now he went outside because he was uh, basically trying to get over the fact that Alexander had banged Lexi. So he goes outside for a cigarette or a joint, one or the other at that point. And because he was pouring uh, the alcohol slash milk all over himself, um, as soon as he lights um, the cigarette slash joint, he sets himself on fire. Chris is the only person who can see it inside the warehouse uh, because of his view outside. Everyone else is too busy doing their party uh, pretentious art bullshit. Yeah. Um, Lexi comes outside, sees him on fire, rushes back in. Macon's on fire. Um, no one takes any notice because they're all uh, too busy, you know, like um, uh, costing uh, the truth out of Alexander slash Tim. Um, grabs a fire extinguisher, doesn't work, comes back in, grabs the photography uh, assistant, the lighting assistant. Um, they both come out with two fire extinguishers and put out Macon. Okay. All right. Psycho <laughs> returns with a bag of crank. Okay. Yep. And Alexander immediately tells Zyko to shoot Paul in the head, who is trying to get the perfect picture, the perfect photograph, which has been his main concern this whole time. All right. Paul is shot in the head, but doesn't realize a lot like Sky, the zombie cheerleader at the start, that he's been shot in the head at first and, get, and says things. I can't believe it. Just trying to take a photo here. He's just about basically bitching that he's been held up from taking the perfect photo. This yeah. is clearly a running gag where it is you have severe head trauma that should put you on the ground permanently, but you still continue to complain about something or other for some time. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Like the quadriplegic um, knight in Mario Python, fucking with no arms and legs, not even realized, and still trying to fight. Well done. And also uh, how an art student is singular-minded um, in, in a selfish way. They have a singular focus on their selfish way, basically wanting to get what they want, regardless of what else has happened around uh, around them, even if it's people being shot on the head or being set on fire. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, the assistant is also shot in the head and, uh, and uh, Zyko attacks Lexi. Now, Macon has come back inside by the stage. Um, and I wanted to point out this beautiful bit of special effects here as well. Um, when he pulls off uh, his werewolf mask and it has been burnt, molded into his face and then starts basically... Uh, grunting, growling, slash howling like a werewolf at this point. I thought this was fantastic, and I don't know why it really hasn't come into horror before this or after, oh, yeah? Uh, sir, uh, the Twilight Zone did that. Oh, back in the day, yeah. the original? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. The Rod Serling wrote this episode. It was an episode where this dying father forced his family to come around him and they're all horrible cunts all of them but he made them he's like hey man if we're in new orleans it's mardi gras you need to wear these masks 
until midnight. If you take them off, I'm not giving you a fucking dime. I'll give it to whoever the fuck ever. And they went, well, and they bitched and complained and whined about it the whole time. And before they put their masks on, he told them what was wrong with him. Like, you're a dumb dumb. You're a selfish cunt. You're a vapid fucking dumb dumb. And you're fucking, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you're, uh, what do you call it? Uh, vain. You're vain. You know, you're yeah. vain. You're only worried about what you look like. And you're only worried about this, that, and the other thing. So they have the appropriate mask with right. the fucking like a pig face or fucking like but, okay. you know okay. big old dopey he, eyes or whatever. He had put he had put a curse on these masks, an old voodoo curse, and they were death masks. But these people wore them till midnight on Mardi Gras, and then when they took them off the next day, their faces had molded to it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. I must check that out. I must check that out. Oh, I um, promise you, if, if, if anybody listening or Gene yourself, go back and start at the be- at the very beginning of the Twilight okay. Zone and watch okay. all of them seasons. You will not regret one. There's like two episodes that are eh. Everything else is phenomenal. Fantastic. Oh, I okay. stand by yeah. that. Fuck Star Wars. Fuck Star Trek. Fuck any of that other nerd shit. I am down for life with the Twilight Zone. There's nothing better. For that sure. Is, is kind of close, but nothing compares to the Twilight Zone. I, of I'll, all do you, them. I'll do you one. I'll do you one on top of that. The Outer Limits is better than Star Wars and Star Trek 2. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, but it's not the Twilight Zone still, man. No, 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 no. It's no, there's no way. There's no way. Night no, Gallery. Okay. That's what I was trying to think of. Night Gallery. Oh, okay. yeah, Night okay. Gallery. I will, I will, because just quickly, I have seen The Prisoner, I have seen Sapphire and Steel, I do enjoy those old movies of that tone, you know, and that that kind of narrative context as well, Um, so yeah, very, I've seen a few, like, yeah, but I've seen the movie from the 80s, of course, so I do need to go back, so I do need to go uh, back. Okay, um, now Macon attacks uh, Zyko, who is attacking uh, Lexi, uh, the love of his life, with Old Painless, the chainsaw, which is a plug-in chainsaw. I don't know if I mentioned that before. It is a plug-in It's clear, clearly foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, now, Lex, uh, Lexi has um, been untying Chris before this as well, uh, because uh, Paul ha- Alexander has said, Tim has said to Zyko, kill them, shoot them all in the head, basically. Um, yeah, so the truth of Tim has c- come out at this point. So uh, Lexi is um, untying Chris. Um, now, Bill. <laughs> the, the 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 lead baseball fury. This mm-hmm. is where his moment shines. Before I go into detail, I want to go behind the scenes for a second. Um, Bill is his first name. Forget the name of his surname of the actual actor. Bill didn't say shit uh, behind the scenes in the production. Yeah, he pretty much kept to himself. He was friendly enough. He was friendly enough. Um, Jeremy didn't know him before this as well. He had worked with the others. As I say, they came together to create Lab of Madness. Um, then Bill basically does this scene. He terrified everyone uh, because he just went berserk. And a lot of and the dialogue, the stuff that Bill's spurting out as he's, um, you know, going to town, uh, 
they had to ADR, put additional dialogue recording over the top of it because what he was saying wasn't even acceptable or possible for this type of film. It terrified everyone. And is that were, right? Yeah, they went, oh, dear, who is this chap? <laughs> we have been working with this whole time. <laughs> it was yeah. very, so when he first starts storming down the hallway, I think we're at this part, yeah? When yeah, pretty much, we're at the slasher part of the film, yep. When he first starts storming down, he's holding that axe like one of the baseball furies. Mm-hmm. He does yeah. He does things from, from when, when Ajax and the lead baseball fury get into a fight in the park in the Warriors, he's doing some of the same moves, tossing it back and forth between his hands. And when he starts charging after him, he becomes Jack Torrance from The Shining. Oh, 100%, yep. man. 100%. And the whole fucking Baseball Furies thing is fucking important because of the Warriors, but not only that, they're talking about being in Brooklyn and shit. The Baseball Furies, the Warriors totally takes place in New York, but it, it, the Baseball well, no, Furies it, also it, it, look it, like the Yankees. They have the same thing, and so it's still like that thing that they're going fucking hardcore in that local level, in that local... And when... The Warriors are going through town, and they're fighting all the gangs and shit. The only ones that really do hold their own are the fucking Furies, and the Furies fucking come hard. And when you see the fact that the Fury, the the character that is obviously the Furies, because also before the Furies actually fight the Warriors, like, there's no, there's not, you know they're there, and you know you don't want to fuck with fucking baseball Furies in the Warriors. The Rips that, hold their own as well. I will it, say. Well, they, they do. But, like, you, what I'm saying is in the Warriors, like, you know that the Furies are going to come up in the thing. You see those motherfuckers with bats the whole time, but they're quiet until they fucking hit it. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. And I love that reference as well because it's the, the pacing of the film that this is literally – the third act in the movie, just like it is in the Warriors when he finally, they go up against the Furies. Right. Nice. Nice. Thank you, Reverend. Okay. Uh, Now, just before um, the trigger, uh, like MK Ultra style trigger as well from the P2P, from the uh, PlayStation Portable that Bill was playing, you get the tagline of the movie comes out and the trigger for Bill to go off, everybody dies, yeah? Yeah. That comes from the little video game he's playing there. Um, And, yeah, so that sets Bill off. Um, He automatically chops uh, Lexi in the head with an axe. Boom, she's gone. Um, In the excitement, Hellhammer has eaten the bag of crank because Alexander slash Tim is still sitting there from the truth um, serum. Um, Alexander, where's my bag of crank? He goes off uh, to uh, find it. Um, Hellhammer goes off after him. Um, Alexander crawls back out with half his jaw taken off because Hellhammer's been busy on the crank. Bill Which finishes. I fucking love. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, Bill uh, finishes off uh, Alec, so Alexander uh, with baseball bat, yeah? Um, 
then uh, you think how is it set up on the camera that is just basically hammering in Bill's head going, everybody dies, everybody dies, everybody dies. Uh, but then it cuts off to it's the birthday cake, not the birthday cake, the party cake, yeah, which Alexander had ordered earlier on because what's a party without a cake, yeah? Yes. That was a, that was a nice little trick there, a nice little diversion. Oh, where he's and, hammering the cake? That was a good yeah. little joke. He had me. Yeah, they got me with yeah. that. Same, same, absolutely. And Chris has escaped at this point, yeah? because Lexi untied him. Um, so uh, amongst all the action, amongst all the distraction, Chris was managed to escape. Um, now, Bill has, uh, Macon awakes and pursues Bill with an electric chainsaw to avenge Lexi, and Bill is chasing Chris. Now, okay, so they, um, this is definitely the third act. This is definitely the slasher, yeah, homage part of the film, certainly. Um, oh, dude, I, in, in, this, in this, you can see Friday the 13th moments. You can see, okay. you can see anything, any, any classic slasher you can think of, you will see homage to it in this motherfucker. Halloween, all of it. Any chase scene that was ever in a slasher movie that everyone's ever seen is in this motherfucker. A hundred percent. There's got to be at least like 15 fucking references throughout this Absolutely. last case scene that we go through, man. You use, it goes from Friday the 13th to Halloween to the shining to I, all fucking all of it. It's, it's really great. I really loved it. Sweet, sweet, sweet. I did uh, definitely pick up on Jason Voorhees, the way Macon sits up as well, which I'm sure the undertaker from wrestling grabs from Jason uh, right. as well. Absolutely. Yep. Well, so, um, that was great. Walks well, it's the way he chases. Because mm -hmm. you'll notice mm -hmm. this is another thing they clearly did on purpose. He, he runs in short bursts from time to time. But the majority of the time, his prey is running for Chris is running and he's walking. He's walking with purpose but he's fucking walking. That's Jason Voorhees. That's Michael Myers. That's, you know what I'm saying? That's Jack right. Torrance. Jack Torrance Absolutely. was the same way. He had a busted leg. That's the only reason yep. he wasn't running, but yep. still. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the chainsaw, Macon has uh, Leatherface moments as well when he's holding it up as well. That comes a little bit later, but yeah. No, and the, the whole, whole plethora of homages. Yeah, 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 Okay, um, and um, you, da, 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 da. when he's um, doing the chainsaw through the boxes as well, just wanted to point out they didn't know what was in those boxes as well. That's why you see a bunch of green shit comes out as well as dust and polystyrene and that sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, it was quite, this is independent guerrilla filmmaking, absolutely. Um, I love the bit in the chase scene where they go, uh, Chris goes up the conveyor belt thinking that he's gotten away from Bill. Yeah, and he's at the top. Um, but um, then Bill just has to press the button for the conveyor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Helped us uh, following him. Again, Chris, the incompetent protagonist. Um, he does press it so he goes down again, but he goes back up and the chase continues. But to show further incompetence of Chris, he decides to take a piss up on the rooftop. <laughs> where, uh, whilst he's waiting for Bill to come up the conveyor belt, uh, belt I've got time to take a slash. Bill actually comes out onto uh, the roof and sees Chris, and then Chris 
well, I've got to finish off. I've got to shake. <laughs> you got to shake to finish, <laughs> which he does. Oh, yeah. He definitely, like, shakes and tucks and, like, zips up and everything, man. I'm like, zips. this motherfucker's, like, coming at you. Then I, I, I like to think I hold my own and shit, but if some motherfucker coming at me like the, the baseball fury and I've been tied up all yeah. night, I'm taking off. I'm not taking a piss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after, you know, the violent outburst, the, the verbal outburst that has come from him, the baseball bat, he's just chopped someone in the head with an axe and stuff. I would just let I it flow. Like, I would just I let it like, run down I, my leg. I, I feel like I can survival piss. Because see, what he was doing was he was watching the door. He's pissing, but he's watching the door like, is he coming? Is he coming? He's waiting to see a shadow come around the corner or something. But he keeps going and then he can't pinch it off. Me? I'm a trained professional. I've had to piss when I knew cops were coming around the corner. I've okay. had to piss when I, when I knew that the okay. fucking bouncer was coming around the corner. And so, because of that, I can sit there and train my wiener. I'm the commander. <laughs> Trained it. I can fucking... Obey! I can get a survival <laughs> amount out and fucking bounce. 100% I can do it. I've done it. I would, and I have. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. Alarmed and impressed. Now, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm not hardly bullshit, and I promise you. <laughs> I know. I, I, know. <laughs> I believe you. Um, and Macon is still ch chasing behind with the chainsaw just to keep that in mind. He is holding the cord in his arms at this point. It is not plugged in, of course. Now, continuing with the chase scene after the piss, um, he runs down in a concrete adjunctment, yeah, just a little place where he can hide, lay, down flat where he uh, Bill cannot see him. You see Bill run past. You think happy days he has gotten away. No, no, no. The alarm from the start for his anxiety pills at the very start of the credit sequence, yeah, which he takes. So, you know, he takes by clockwork. It starts going off. He's trying to turn off the watch. Bill hears it and comes along. Um, everybody dies, takes a swing at him. Um, and uh, Chris runs off via silhouette chase continues um the chase continues and they get to cicero's party this is another scene party which was meant to be 10 blocks over but it's about two buildings over two or if not one roof over at this point but hey who but what, so what do you mean it was meant to be 10 blocks over in the address in the show or in the movie or in the movie, Sky says we should go to Cicero's party. It's a, it's ten blocks away. Uh, Up I above, missed, I missed they ten blocks. Yeah. I, I missed that point. Yeah, but they jump two roofs away. I'm not sure about you know the geography in terms of blocks, but I'm pretty sure that's not two blocks if it's two roofs away. But who am I to pick holes in this? No, New New York City blocks are fucking long. Big, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. They couldn't um, break continuity. They Spider-Man their asses over there. They're at the new park. <laughs> Mm -hmm. They're at Cicero's party. It's another pretentious scenester party, but with actually with actual popular kids this time around, not the complete outcast, which all of these uh, this, these murder party um, attendees were. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Chris comes along um, now. He uh, is in his goofy Black Knight, you know, costume. There's, um, if you will, um, there's the, uh, the, the, the there's the kids who like the rock music or the punk music up top. I'm not going to call them punk rockers because they were not because these are still scene idiots. Um, they're up there on the roof. Yeah, they've got the kegs. They're drinking the boys, if you will. Um, he comes in, help me, call the police. He's going to murder me. They they just ignore him and go, don't knock off the don't don't knock over the kegs, you idiot, you loser. 
etc paraphrasing but you get the gist um chris goes inside and he goes downstairs to the ravers the tech you know uh to the techno party where you've got um the the sexy girls and the cooler guys and cooler in air quotes because they're doing 80s robot dances you know they're still dickheads absolutely very clear um mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Bill has followed. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah, Bill has followed as well. And the uh, the boys drinking the beer up on top of the roof, they pretty much ignore Bill because he just looks alarming. <laughs> He's just giving off a dangerous presence at this stage and they just let him go through. Um, and then, of course, Macon is still uh, chasing behind with his chainsaw as well. He um, notices, the, notices the fairy lights above and where he can plug his chainsaw in and begins to follow the cord. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, Chris, um, uh, Chris, um, they go down into the rave party below. Um, now, uh, basically, uh, Chris goes through, then Bill follows. What I wanted to point out is Bill stops for a drink at the bar. I'm not sure what type of drink it is. It was some sort of uh, fancy uh, cocktail with a little umbrella in it. He called, oh, yeah. I, I rewound that a couple of times. He said it's a pink something or other. I couldn't a tell. Pink cranberry with vodka. That's pink, exactly what he said. Vodka. A pink cran vodka is what he asked for. Ah. That sounds right. That sounds right as well. Okay. It, was, it was just it was just a little bit of a moment of like we've got the, uh, the, ch the the slasher chase. There it was a little nice moment of humor and levity. The psycho killer wants a nice little fancy umbrella drink, you know. Right. Um, the type of the type of thing. Shout out uh, Broad Street Breakdown to the professors. The type of thing uh, the Pablo would order. <laughs> sure. <laughs> about do an Instagram shot of. Um, uh, but then he sees Chris, um, goes after Chris as well. Uh, all the all the all the sexy people dancing to the techno. They pay no notice, even when uh, basic uh, Bill's chasing him. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, going through the silhouetted screens and stuff, and Chris is calling out for help. This must be part of the party. This must be part of the art. Um, let's just ignore it. Right. Um, right. Uh, just catch me. Which if I want to go to a party like that. I want to go to a party where I'm like, look at all these dead people and shit. It's totally just part of the art installation. <laughs> it would be bad. No one invites me to these fucking parties. I'm the asshole that would fucking fall for this fucking flyer. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Catch me if I'm, um, call me up if I'm missing anything here. Chris goes upstairs to where there is a live installation art uh, exhibition is uh, about to uh, be opened up, yeah, for viewing. Right. Um, yep. Um, he makes his uh, way through. He's, um, someone asks him, you know, are you part of the show? Goes to call security in air quotes, but Chris just makes his way through. And he comes to the art exhibition itself, uh, which involves four uh, attractive ladies, body painted, yeah, breast showing, another uh, kind of goofy, dorky looking guy sitting there with glasses, yeah. Um, there is the uh, the title of the art piece, and it is simply art question mark. Yeah, it's yep. in a white room, a white gallery room, pretentious and nonsense as you know anything. 
Um, and then Chris says, oh, um, I, I need to hide. Don't, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me. I just need to hide. And he hides behind this little bad two to three foot puller, pillar with a little jack-o'-lantern on the top, yeah? Um, so there's jack-o'-lanterns throughout the room. Which he's clearly not hiding behind at all. Which he's clearly not hiding behind at all. And I believe he does hide behind a small pile of boxes earlier on in the film. I forget where uh, to hide as well. Um, and this... Um, is part of the incompetent uh, protagonist trilogy. It's a running little gag as well. Um, in Blue Ruin, he sets up a bedroom fort in the lounge, a, a type of like kids play fort in the lounge to hide from the very much bad guys as well. It's just playing on that whole incompetent protagonist theme. Um, and Bill, so Bill's coming through. Um, he goes up and he's stopped by, I don't know if the um, Asian actor was given, the character there was actually given him a name. Uh, I, I never heard. I, I maybe he said it once when he first said hi to him. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, but this is the final trigger for Bill um, because this character who's running the show anyway, he is running the show. It's his his exhibition, uh, the living installation. Uh, oh, he says, "Oh, finally, Bill, a real artiste. You should have your own show." He's buttering him up. Bill drops the psycho for a moment. Goes, "Hey." I really am a good artist, yeah, because he's shown to be insecure a couple of times throughout the film. Definitely, that's part of his trigger. That's part of his right. psycho. Yep, and he yep, recedes yep. into he recedes into video games and being antisocial. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, hundred um, percent. Now, maybe you think uh, Chris is going to be safe until uh, <coughs> the art exhibitor says, "Oh, is that Alexander coming?" I've been trying to get a grant off him. If he sees this work, maybe I can get the grant. Paraphrasing, but that's the gist. And mm -hmm. that's it. That's it. That's it for Bill. Fuck this whole scene. Everybody dies. <laughs> right. <laughs> off he goes. Um, chases Chris, finds him within the exhibition room. And then all bloody hell, slaughter, massacre, 100%. Everybody dies, um, and but not Chris. Everyone else is chopped up. All the pretty artists, all the uh, the performers, uh, they're taken care of in sprays, blood, axe chops. They're done. Uh, now, Macon is up above on the roof on top. Does his uh, he's plugged it in? Does his uh, leather face Lexi with the chainsaw? But then automatically falls over uh, uh, behind him and over the top of the building over the ledge. <laughs> Plummets to his death, shouting out, "Lexi, I love you!" I think. Um, Chris and Bill are in the room. Chris turns behind him as Bill's going to finish him off. Sees the cord go. The plug, the cord to the plug and chainsaw go tight. Da, 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 pulls it up, gets out old painless. Final confrontation, final showdown. Uh, you know, melee, uh, melee, melee, and then is able to get to one of, again, one of the finest moments of violence and gore in the scene. He is able to chainsaw blade Bill down half of his face. Yeah. What did you guys think of this moment? Oh, it's tremendous. Oh, I was happy, man. I was happy. I was surprised to see Chris pull this off, but like like on on the storyline level, but I I just love this scene, man. Like and it's so quick. Like everything you just described 
took place within like a minute and a half. It was, it's what I love in cinema. It was that easy the killer fucking coming into the room and killing everyone in the fucking room. And they did use that effect where the blood fucking hits the ceiling and it splatters in an upward motion. You know, um, there's a lot of shout outs to just those factors, but it's done in a minute and a fucking half. It's literally a power violence song of cinematography in that point. I like, can't follow that. That's exactly no, you don't think so? No, no, no that's, like, that's he's in agreeance. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's a minute and a half of fucking insanity, and the and then the fucking joke at the end that he pulls up old painless that he's been fucking eyeing this whole time, and he he wins. How the fuck does that guy even win? I would have taken, I would have, if we were going to do the fucking battle royale right now, I would say that the fucking theory was going to take this fight. But Chris pulls it off, and then they do an awesome effect mm-hmm. in a minute mm-hmm. and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's done by Chris Connolly, the digital effects. It was an animated chainsaw blade as it was a bike chain because you can't have, you know, chainsaw blades uh, in films. Um, so it was, a, it was a bike chain and it was animated, the rotation, the movement of uh, the chainsaw that was digital as well. And some of the blood was touched up digitally as well um, when it's, uh, you know, spouting from the face. Otherwise, um, and, and mixed with practical effects there. Um, it, was a, it was a marriage. Yeah, it was a marriage. Yes, marriage. Physical effects and then like not overkilling what you can do with fucking CGI, you know, like it wasn't overdone and Mm -hmm. it works, Mm -hmm. especially in this genre of a film. Yeah, and that's the idea of it because unless you're really looking for it, it's about integration to the point that you don't notice that it is digital, yeah, that it is integrated into the world of the film. So it's masterfully done there for the type of low budget indie, you know, guerrilla filmmaking that this is. All right, um, yeah, so Bill's done and uh, Chris slams Jack Lantern down on his head. That may have been a little callback revenge for his Jack Lantern being smashed at the start or a nice book ending, if you will. Um, but it's a fire, it's a lovely shot. That was was honestly to disguise his crime somewhat as well. Because he's got to be questioned in the murder of all these people. Maybe people are going to buy that it was some dickhead art piece, but that dude's got most of his face missing. That's hard to fake. So he put the jack-o'-lantern over it and break the fuck out. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But there is also the point where this murder has taken, this massacre has taken place. Then the um, the patrons of the art show that they come to look at the art piece after the massacre has taken place. They go, oh, um, uh, what, what was it? Still art. Um, oh, what was it? Still life is performance art. It's their finest work yet. Yeah, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. So they're, again, they're pretentious artists entirely in their own world, even if people are being murdered and slaughtered around them. Yes, yeah, they plan that up as well, definitely. Um, Chris has uh, got the phone um, and he's called 911 and hands it to one of the um, people who are running the show. Yeah, and says, This is for you. He's going home. <laughs> he is done. He is done. Forgets he has his wallet because Alexander took it off him earlier on to identify who he was. Um, so he walks back all the way back, be it from another borough or the bad part of Brooklyn. Long ass way to come home because it's morning by the time he gets home. Another He's going... Warriors reference, by the way. Yeah, and 
Also, um, let's not forget that the Warriors were in Coney Island, which is in Brooklyn. So, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, he goes past his neighbors and stuff. You know, he is covered in blood and gore. He hasn't cleaned himself up at this point as well. Still but in his black knight suit. He's still wearing his cardboard costume. It's, it's still it's still the black knight, absolutely. Um, and so they're just looking at him, just kind of waving, hey, are you okay? Rough night. Because it has been Halloween, I guess, as well. People could understand that was a pretty wild party you went to because cars have been spray-painted, shop fronts have been egged, more jack-o'-lanterns have been smashed. That is established as well through shots as Chris walks home. Okay, uh, there was one little bit of character development, hero's journey, transformative arc as well moment where um, his, the alarm rings on his watch and he throws away the anxiety pills rather than taking them. Yeah, he's, you know, he's grown in that way. Um, but the most, the best part of character development where he does come home um, and he goes to sit in his chair to watch the movies he was going to originally watch, finish off the candy corn, looks at Sir Lancelot. Sir Lancelot, please move. Lancelot beats, a couple of beats, looks at him, goes... Yeah, fuck this time, I better move. <laughs> this guy ain't the same. Right. Thank you. Sits down and uh, pleased with himself. Uh, remote control towards the TV. Click, credits, murder party. Boom. I, I did like that. I did like that gimmick where I, I, as soon as he picked up the remote, I'm on. It's going to turn off as soon as he fucking presses that button oh, yeah. and turn on the movie. But it's great. It's a great gimmick. And it's cliche, but it's a good one. It's a really good one. It was well it's used. It's a really good one, man. And the whole walk home and everything like that, during that first initial part of this film, that intro that he had really put a lot of artistic fucking effort into, honestly, to sell the rest of this film to everyone else or whatever, fucking... Mm -hmm. He, there's all those Carpenter references. There's all these John Carpenter references. And when he's walking home, not only is it just like the Warriors, but it's also literally shot by shot fucking the beginning of They Live as well. No, you 100% know? it is. Yeah. It's 100% <laughs> fucking They Live. And it is just the homage that he does in this film without you having to go and look for it is amazing. And I fucking love it. This is I, I can't, I have no complaints about this film. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, and it was a labor of love for Sonia as well. He bit like that. He was described as bit not shitting, pissing, eating, uh, sleeping uh, throughout this as well. He was the workhorse, walk ho workhorse to get this done as well. So it was an arduous, you know, process for everyone involved. Uh, but they created a bond, a family throughout it. And they all say afterwards as well, looking back, and that's just one of the most fun times they have ever had. Our crew members were saying this is a film that I actually want to see when finished as right. well. Um, and they said it's one of the best times of their lives. They would happily do it again. And it changed their lives as well uh, from where they go, um, uh, especially Macon Blair and Sonia from the films they are able to do together, going from Blue Ruin, Green Room, Green Room to Hold the Dark for Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And this is the start. This is the genesis of it all. Yeah. So there you go, Murder Party. Wonderful. Fantastic. Okay, gimmick time. Straight to it. Okay, Jobber Royale. I have two. One I'll throw to you if it's not acceptable because I've gone a bit off the beaten path with it. I have another for backup. Okay. 
we always do humans. Oh, yep. you did it. This is what I, <laughs> I was thinking of you doing that. Fantastic. Because Chris is the lead, but it's an ensemble piece. It's an ensemble piece. Apart from the dickheads and the, and the party, it's Cicero's party. It's an ensemble piece. But let's change it up. Hal Hammer versus Sir Lancelot. What do you think? Yes. Got? <laughs> I was so hoping you were going to do this. Now, let me Great jump points. in. It's Hell Hammer, and it's not even close. It's Hell Hammer. Stop it. I mean, it kind of is, dude. Like that guy. You, you know what? I, I will tell you why. Because Hell Hammer is the, the alpha, even amongst his fucking owner. Like, he's a better character than his owner is. His owner is a piece of shit that dresses up like a vampire and lies about his money and fucking steals people's art and puts it in his grandpa's house. Hellhammer's mm. just a dog, and his name's fucking Hellhammer. And yeah, Sir Lancelot's cool because he fucking bitches Chris, but Chris is a bitch, and that's the whole point, and that's what cats do. They fucking put you in your place. They don't respect for you if you're cool with it or whatever, but, you know... A, but Hellhammer's a fucking, what, 50-pound dog named Hellhammer? He's like a fucking husky or something. He's a, he's a grimy-ass Halloween dog that can handle hanging out with these sociopaths, and he does crank. Yeah, <laughs> he does drunk. He's, he's a dog dude, he fucked up. He fucked up a grown man with no, without even taking any type of L. He's going to fuck that fat, lazy kid. And also, let's not forget, Sir Lancelot has been knighted. A knight is a lazy cunt. Nowadays, if you get knighted, you're yeah, soft yeah, as yeah. baby shit. Eat Flay will fuck that fluffy fat cunt up in a fucking heart. Hellhammer is a fucking grimy ass, lemmy level biker, crank snorting dog. And Lancelot is a lazy, fluffy, layabout pussycat. The fuck? out of here it's not even close and i'm so glad this is what got picked <laughs> yeah no i mean on the whole knighting thing yeah he's sir lance a lot i would definitely rather fall fight fucking sir elton john and sir paul mccartney at the same time than fuck any fuck with any dog that's on crank anything that's on crank you put crazy in the situation i don't want to fucking fight a bunny rat Mm -hmm. I, I, have I cannot to. fucking disagree with that on any level. And that's another yeah. fucking Monty <laughs> Python fucking reference that I put in right there, bitch. Yes. I have to agree with you, gentlemen, even though I'm all about defending my feline friends. But in this situation, it is Hellhammer. He has taken the crank. He is named after a black metal drummer as well, which uh, Sonia and Macon Blair are both fans of. I don't believe that was the reference for the name. Um, and yeah, he does bite off Alexander's face really without breaking a sweat. He doesn't come back in a, like a rabid fury. He just saunters back in. Yep, that's done. Where am I off now on my crank journey? Right. Yes, yeah, that's He's not even well like that. He can handle the high. He can handle it. He's done it yeah. before. Absolutely. Right. He, he was just picking his moment to chew off that bastard's face, basically. He was picking. Our, he, yeah. Let me hmm? break the fourth wall and, and tell our dear listeners that I'm the dog person here. These other two are cat yeah. folks, and they're yeah. back in hell hammer. What the fuck does that tell you? Yeah, 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 I am, man. 
It is official. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, yes, raise the poor of Hellhammer. <laughs> Let it Hellhammer be so. Hellhammer has been circled in my notes. All right, what do we do? Oh, we got a bit of violence, right? We got a bit of violence. We got a bit of violence. Um, I'll start it off if I may. Please bit do. of violence. Okay. This is my favorite bit of violence. I don't think it's the best bit of violence. It's just my favorite. And that is the burnt wolf mask. Yeah. Onto okay. the face of Macon because I hadn't seen it before. I'll go back and watch the Twilight Zone to see uh, the origins of it, the history of it, of course. Uh, but popped for me. I thought it was fantastic. I'm a big mask mark in horror. Yeah. I love the purges and such things. I thought this was a fine example of how to use a mask in a horror film. Take it away. Who's next? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, my favorite was Bill kills the art installation. Um, yeah. Bill taking an ax to six people at once and no one is even able to put up a fight. No one understands what's going on. They don't know if it's an art gimmick and he's just screaming at everybody about how he's going to kill everybody and yet they still don't figure it out until all of them are fucking leaking um i loved it and also i do understand that the bit on the roof with old painless is is the quintessential texas chainsaw massacre reference but there is i felt a bit of texas chainsaw massacre even though it was an axe in this moment because of the lighting the way the fucking light sways back and forth, blocks it out for a second, then it comes back. Uh. And, and it's dodgy back and forth with the lighting. I The first thing I thought of was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I fucking love it. Um, I actually thought it, they did that in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too because they're in the fucking basement. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I fucking, I absolutely love that. Once again, maybe not the best bit. Quite honestly, I thought about saying the mask gimmick because I was like, that's pretty fucking brilliant. Um, it was really, really well done, the makeup, but for sheer, pure, unadulterated violence purposes, I gotta go Bill Kills the Entire Art Installation. Good choice, fine choice, absolutely. And um, well pointed out with TCM there as well. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace, Tobey Hooper. I'm gonna I'm gonna round this off and do the obvious one with the chainsaw to the face, man. And, and I'll you. tell you why, dude. Because I like physical effects, and that was a trauma ass physical effect. Fucking chainsaw to the face, just this is the gore effect, and it looks cheesy, but they cleaned it up, and they didn't clean it up too much with CGI because this is 2007. CGI is a little better now or whatever, but back in 2007, this isn't Sharknado. You know, this isn't like they're trying really hard and being really bad at it. This was just a little extra pop of making that chain speed at the right time and that little extra, like, pop on the blood that was actually in the wound but other than that it's a physical effect and on a trauma aspect and on like this really love for physical effects i thought that for this time period it's fucking super on point because well, it's and, a cheesy and, effect and it's fucking rad but it still got added to with cgi without killing it with overkill of cgi Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. the only mm -hmm. one that they showed 
graphically full frontal, and they yes. also held it there for a while. Yes, yes. like yeah. the only one they did. All those murders in the fucking Bill Kills the Art installation, that's at least five or six bodies. They really didn't show the axe connecting and the blood squirting. They didn't, but and 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 the the mask thing is kind of an after effect of the violence, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even when that girl hits her head on the ground, you know, you see the blood spurting afterwards, but it's a small yep. wound. You yep. see the guys getting shot, but their head is halfway off screen when they do it, which is an old trick to kind of use squibs. Uh, without wasting film and so on and so forth, which is totally fine. It was great the way they did it. But this is the only one that they not only showed full frontal, but they fucking focused on it kind of for a long time, like almost too long. I'm like, dude, intentionally almost too long. Intentionally almost too long. Yeah. 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 The chainsaw was running inside that left third of that motherfucker's face for a solid fucking 15 seconds straight without breaking. And I'm like, I mean, <laughs> are we doing something else or is this the rest of the movie? <laughs> that's the, that's the blood feast fucking, that's the Herschel Gore and Lewis fucking love right there. That's looking at the tongue for fucking 15 seconds. I mean, I, you only got to show them for two seconds and everyone's like, Oh, she got her tongue ripped out. No. We're gonna you show all of the credits, you know, like on display. Fucking, yeah, 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 right. absolutely. HG Lewis only did that. He's like, I paid for the tongue. I'm showing the tongue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, true, 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 true. That 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 uh, I said fave bit of violence from Mars before. That's what I consider the best bit of violence. The chainsaw to the face scene. Yeah, just to clarify. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So fine choice, fine choices, gentlemen. Okay, so that is uh, so we're up to ratings. Yeah, who wants to right. who wants to start with a rating um, and link it to a disease slash ailment, etc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, go ahead, Terry. You know, I really, really like this, and uh, I was not really aware of it for a while so um i'm gonna say that this is this is really close to me personally because i love this type of fucking genre i love these quick kills i love there's literally a violence power violence song scene in this shit so it's close to my heart so and i didn't know about it for a long time so it's probably most like heart disease because i totally don't know if i have that or not and i most definitely do and will enjoy a you know slow and painful death from it but i really want to still encourage other people to experience that with me too excellent and out of 10 there good sir i'm gonna go eight and a half out of ten if not almost nice. nine out of ten Oof, fantastic. All right. it's up there Happy with that uh, i'm Commander. gonna go I'm going to go bubonic plague on this motherfucker, and I'll tell you why. It's because it kills people quicker than you think. Like, it's over real quick, Like but everybody dies. Fucking, like, fucking two-thirds of the population of this fucking movie dies. And it happened really quick. (laughs) Yeah. um, and it was brutal and it was rough and you don't see it coming and you don't know what's happening and then you're just fucking dead. Um, 
And also, it leaves you ugly. Every one of those people left an ugly corpse because of how they died. No one's uh-huh. getting open casket on this movie. Um, yeah. Out of 10, solid 9.5. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Not, love it this is a bad motherfucker, man. I love DIY punk rock fucking homage style short promo worshiping yet still fucking original yet still tie it to better movies that come down the fucking road with your same crew keeping it loyal keeping it true mm-hmm. this is the mm-hmm. this is the epitome of what i love about grimy fucking film 9.5 i'm so happy this has satisfied you both that you both pop for this film absolutely i too popped for this film i'm not always about slow burn psychological devastation i like to have fun too this film is fucking fun <laughs> as well um and it is fun as explosive diarrhea as well it is fast <laughs> it is explosive it makes a mess but you can't help and giggling the whole way through as well just giggling to yourself while it's going on so it is definitely for me explosive diarrhea and i'm giving it a strong eight out of ten as well a high mark definitely a high mark an eight out of ten so nothing has been below eight for man bites pod for murder party jeremy sonier 2007 just punk rock fucking let's have fun fucking cult classic indeed love it Good pick. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think we are done. Um, everybody dies. Everyone uh, smiles uh, when they watch this film. Check it out. It's only 80 minutes there, listeners. Um, I'll sign off. This is uh, Jean von Banyard, Cinema Baron. I think I've successfully put the sin back into cinema. Reverend? Well, this is the Reverend Goddamn with a little bit of prophecy that, yes, everyone does die. Uh, good night. This is the commander signing off at ease, motherfuckers. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 